G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to find more about us, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is part of a series on the seven deadly sins and seven life-giving virtues. And this week we're looking at envy and kindness. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. The Lord be with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and set them into his vineyard. About a third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went out. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men, who were hired last, worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us, who have been the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So to the last will be the first, and the first will be the last. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Words from Psalm 19. May the words of our lips the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. 
Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, today in our journey through the seven deadly sins and seven life-giving virtues, we've come to one of the most common and seemingly the most harmless, envy. Envy is a feeling of discontent, resentment, wakened by someone else's possessions, qualities, or just sheer luck. Now you might be thinking, what's so wrong with envy? Surely God's got bigger things to worry about than how I feel when I see my neighbour's lawn, their shiny new car, or their holiday happy snaps. Sometimes envy can motivate people to get up off the couch, to go to university, or get a job, so that they can have the things that others have. Psychologist Sigmund Freud, there he is, looks like a happy chap, doesn't he? (laughs) He taught that envy was the driver of everyday life. Name it, note it, and get over it. Don't fight it, said the doctor of Vienna. Without envy, we wouldn't be able to get up out of bed in the morning. Freud is partially responsible for our modern tendency to see envy as a perfectly natural emotion. We live in an age of food envy, garden envy, children envy, career envy, upper arm envy, whatever that is, I'm not quite sure. (laughs) Upper arm envy? Is that like when, yeah, anyway, Um, apparently it's a thing. (laughs) Upper arm, arm envy, holiday envy, just to name a few. To say to someone, I envy you, isn't a confession, it's a compliment. So what's so wrong with envy? And why would anyone consider it a deadly sin? Surely war crimes, murder, or even tax fraud are bigger problems than envy. Well, the reason envy is a deadly sin isn't because it's worse than others. It's because it leads to death. Studies are showing us that envy makes us sick. This is where the idea of being green with envy comes from. If you're so worked up with envy, you just feel sick. In a world where Photoshop can make a mango look like a movie star, a University of Michigan study found that the more users passively scrolled through Facebook, the more envious they became and the worse they felt. Perhaps you've done this, death scrolling through Instagram or Twitter or social media. Counselors are seeing more and more patients in turmoil because they can't achieve the lifestyle that they think that they deserve, that they see that others have. Some call it comparisonitis, and its effects can be deadly. Just last week, the nation was shocked by the story of Bo Lamar Condon, a New South Wales police officer who worshipped celebrities. There he is with an actor called Ryan Gosling. He curated an image of success online, always going on incredible holidays with great handbags, jet-setting across the world. Sadly, when the officer fell out of love, out of a love triangle with two other men, 
his envy turned into wrath. And it will be alleged that Lamar Condon shot the two other men in their Sydney apartment in a crime of passion three weeks ago. This shouldn't surprise us because from the beginning of the Bible we see how envy kills. Thankfully, we also see how to kill it with kindness. It all goes back to the envy of Cain. Over this series, I've mentioned the story of Cain and Abel a couple of times. Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first sons. It's interesting how in going back to original sin, we go back to Adam and Eve, but we also go back to Cain and Abel. In the Bible, we smack straight into envy in Genesis chapter 4, which says... In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. Now we're not told exactly why God accepted Abel and not Cain's sacrifice. But Hebrews 4 says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. There was something about the posture of Abel's heart towards God. Something that couldn't be said for his brother. But instead of getting his heart in the right place, Cain burns with envy. God sees Cain seething, and so he actually intervenes and goes down and has a chat with Cain. He says, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Cain ignores God and murders his brother. He even tries to hide his crime from God. In a sense, this story is the fall after the fall. Because just like with Adam and Eve, an act committed against God happens. And then God comes along and asks, hey, what's up? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Trying to shirk the blame. There's so many parallels between Adam and Eve's sin and Cain's. It runs in the family. Just like with Adam and Eve, Cain's envy isolates him from God and from others. And even though God, in the end of the story, graciously protects Cain from those who might try to avenge him, he lives a half-life because of his sin. While studying this story, I thought, well, this really isn't envy. But uh, Augustine of Hippo, one of the church fathers, really rammed home how the story of Cain really starts with envy. He says, Cain was killed with the fire of envy against his brother. Sorry, Cain was kindled with the fire of envy against his brother, so that he sought to put out of the way him who he should have set as an example. Friends, here we see how envy can seem like a harmless niggle, but it lights a lethal flame. The story of Cain shows us three things. Firstly, how envy affects us all. Second, envy left unchecked can defy reason. All of a sudden, you're justifying all sorts of things to feed your envy. And third, envy is no fun at all. 
Most of the seven sins can feel good for a little while. With gluttony, at least I get to eat the whole chocolate mud cake before I feel sick. Lust offers a little bit of ecstasy for some time. But envy is poison from the word go. And the envy of Cain reminds us that if we don't master it, it will have us and it will eat us whole. This is why the final four of the Ten Commandments all deal with envy and coveting in some way or another. So what do we do with envy? Well, I reckon we need to tackle it like we need to tackle a patch of bindies. When we first came to Dolby, the weather was very dry and I walked out onto our verge in um, front of our house and what I thought was a patch of just dead grass was actually a raging patch of bindies. And with a foot full of bindies, I freaked out and what did I do? I sat down on my bum. <laughs> and so all of a sudden I had a bum full of bindies, so I put down a hand to push myself up and then I had a hand full of bindies. I went into the house looking a little bit like a bindi pincushion. <laughs> So what did I do? I went down to the hardware shop and I got some spray. And I had to wait a while, but as soon as it was spraying season, I put on some shoes, see I learned my lesson sometimes, um, and I sprayed every patch I could find. I had to spray a couple of times, but the next year what happened? No bindies. Lush lawn, yeah, I'm lucky. <laughs> Of course, then our puppy chewed the spray bottles, so now we have bindies again. Um, but you get the point. We need to expose envy wherever we can, cut it out of our lives, and then we need to keep fighting to keep it at bay. And just like a good healthy lawn gives bindies nowhere to grow, the best way to confront envy is to kill it with kindness. One way is to pray for the people we're envious of. In that very well-known wedding passage, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects, always trusts. Always hopes, always perseveres. Do you see this enduring, kind nature of love? It's very difficult to hate or envy someone you're praying for. And if at first you can't pray for the person, just tell God in your heart that you envy that person and why. God already knows what's going on, but it's good to clear the air. And get that feeling out. We seldom envy the people who are far away from us. I don't envy Bill Gates' wealth or Taylor Swift's singing voice. But I must confess that I sometimes feel envy when a pastor from another church seems to be doing a better job than me. For you, it might be a co-worker or maybe a family member who just seems to have what you don't and it gets to you. 
That's okay. But pray about it. Try praying for the person and thanking God for the gifts and success he's given them. It'll irk you. It'll hurt at first. It won't feel good, but it's like cutting gangrene from your soul. After a while, you'll heal and you'll get stronger. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And then 22.4 says this, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honour and life. Over time, God will bless your prayers and help you begin not to just give thanks for the other person's success, but to pray for further success and blessings on their life. Author Blake Lawson tried this, and he was surprised by how praying for three people he envied not, over, not only drove his envy away, but also filled him with genuine affection, genuine love for the people he was praying for. It's amazing how cutting envy out of your life allows you to get your life back on track and back into perspective and reminds you of your blessings. You see, that's the thing about killing envy with kindness. You don't have to conjure up your own innate feelings of kindness. Instead, you can just draw on the kindness and goodness that God has already given you. When we repent of the sin of envy, we can see the wood for the trees and we can begin to fix our hearts on our kind and generous God. This is the power of the parable of the workers in the vineyard, which Ken just read. The owner of the vineyard, who is God, hires a bunch of day labourers, that's us, for a denarius, which was one day's wage. The first workers, they work all day, but as the day goes on, the vineyard owner keeps hiring more workers to get the crop off as quickly as possible. He goes down to town again and again, desperately seeking anyone who's been overlooked and gives them a job. At the end of the day, all the workers receive a day's wages, about $348 in today's money. It's an okay wage. But those hired first, that's the religious people who followed God all their lives, what do they do? They grumble. They get envious. They think they deserve more than those hired last. But this is the kicker of the story. Salvation is a free gift. Jesus isn't talking about farming. He's talking about the kingdom of God. The sad thing about envy is it makes us hate what we already have. We need to learn the lessons from this story and see that we shouldn't be envious because God is generous. Instead, we should celebrate God's generosity to us and to others. Envy robs us of our joy, but when we pray for the people we're envious of and draw on God's kindness, our lives go from miserable to majestic, thankless to thankful, empty to full. Now, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm talking about letting God's light shine into our darkened souls so we can live again. 
It's not that we need to lower our expectations of life. Instead, we need to start drawing on the deep wells of love found in our kind and generous God. C.S. Lewis puts it like this beautifully. He says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too, too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, take a moment to think about not how you see your life, but how God sees you. When Jesus looks at you, he sees an object of his love and affection. He sees someone worth going to the cross for. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. When we peer for a moment into the heart of God, into God's love and affection for us, we can't see lack or any reason for envy. Instead, we are free to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Let's not wallow in the slum mud when our kind and generous God is calling us to fullness of life in Him. Friends, don't fool around with envy. Cut it out of your life. Take time to tackle it head on this Lent because you don't want to miss out on the glory God has in store at Easter. Let's commit to crowding out envy with kindness by praying for the people we envy. And let's celebrate our kind and good and generous God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank <laughs> you.